Hi, and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, continues in a series on the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. If you want to watch the video of this week's message or listen to this week's worship set, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Man, I, I hope, I hope that you, I hope you take enough time to know there is no one like our God. There's no one. Now, I heard there was an earthquake this morning. Now, I hope you know this. Jesus is coming back. And I'm ready. I'm ready for him to come back. Now, I say that to say this. I say that to say this. The Scriptures teach us that there will be people separated from God for the rest of eternity, forever suffering. I hope that what you're seeing doesn't just make you long even more to be with Jesus to get past this world and the presence of sin, to be in a place where there is no more suffering, no more heartache, no more sorrow, but everlasting joy where we get to sing that there is no one like him forever and ever and ever. But I hope that it does not just cause you to long for something that you can benefit from. But as you think about your loved ones, your family, those who don't know Christ, I I pray and I ask and I urge and I challenge and I exhort and I would bribe you with wonderful smoked delicious meat if I could to tell you, please share the gospel with those who don't know it. Please share the gospel. Please do not allow your silence to be the reason someone does not come to know Christ Jesus. Because 2020 is showing us there's, there's a lot going on, and, and God is working. So I pray that we would tend the fields that he is making ripe for harvest, okay? Let, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. God, thank you for the reminder again as we feel an earthquake, as we feel some shaking in our bones. God, shake our hearts. Shake our minds to know you. I, I pray for those who are in this room. I pray that they felt your spirit being present with them as they worship together. And I pray for those who can't come because of some, some, some health issue, some struggle that they're going through. God, I pray that you would just continue to create that longing in them to be a part of community and to find people to call and, and text and to reach out to and, and be a part of the family of God. And if there's someone who's not coming because they've got a bad attitude, God, I pray that they'd repent of their bad attitude. And I pray that they'd come into the house of the Lord and that they would praise you with the body and the family that you've created. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, My name is JC. I'm the family pastor here at Brookwood, and we are continuing our series uh, entitled Believing God. 
Uh, it's a survey on Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes known as the Hall of Faith, uh, the Hall of Heroes of Faith, uh, the, the people who did stuff for God, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, the chapter before chapter 12, whatever, whatever you call it, this is the chapter that we're focusing on, and today we'll be focusing on uh, a man named Moses, uh, who they've made movies about, some uh, wonderful, some kind of weird. Uh, some of the people that play Moses kind of weird. Uh, but I, I think it's a wonderful understanding for us to get not just uh, what, what the Scriptures say, but just kind of wrap our minds around what is happening to the people of God as this is happening. Now, we talked about last week kind of the patriarchs. Uh, we talked about Isaac, the son of Abraham. We talked about Jacob, his son, and then we talked about Joseph, one of Jacob's sons. And so we see the family of God moving, progressing. And I hope that if you haven't maybe experienced a, a story like this, that you would just read the Bible and read it in big chunks. Sometimes when we read passages of Scripture, we miss out on the whole story. And I, I hope to give you an example of why it's important to read larger chunks of the Bible. It would be like if you wrote a, a love letter to your spouse or I guess we write love texts today, love tweets. I, I don't know if we still write love letters, but if you wrote love letters and then you just read the first paragraph and that was it, it would be kind of a bummer just to read the introductory paragraph to a love letter, right? And no, you're supposed to read the, the whole thing. And so I, I hope that what this encourages you to do is to read bigger chunks of Scripture at one time, to read them like they were written uh, to be read. And so I, I hope that you see that today. Um, I, I chose a memory verse today that I think kind of captures what the author of Hebrews is suggesting for us, uh, and it's just 2 Corinthians 4.17. And it just says this, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, although sometimes uh, they, they do last long in our eyes. But to God, these are, these are fleeting troubles that we're experiencing. So I, I want to encourage you, if you do have a trouble that seems to be lasting long, to, to hold fast to Christ, to know that there's end in sight, that, that, that Christ will come through for you, be it in this life or in the next. But the Scriptures continue, and they say this, Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last for that forever. In other words, the glory that we will experience one day is dwarfing any suffering that we may experience in this life, and that's a, a reason to praise God and to be thankful for Him. You know, as a follower of Jesus, we're constantly making choices, and some of which are honestly not that important. Like, you know, last night I'm thinking about what clothes am I going to wear on the stage and what is both clean and also comfortable so I can make sure I can move my hands enough as I, as I preach. Um, you know, and some are more important. What, what do we do for uh, a job? What, what, what do we do for our neighbors to show them that we love them? What do we do to, to showcase to our children what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And where do we place our money at? What, how do we spend our time? These are choices that Christians are constantly making. And sometimes we feel the pressure of what it feels like to make a right choice, a right decision. No matter the pressure, no matter the consequences, no matter the risk, Christians should choose what is right and good. And there's a world that's telling you that you can choose whatever you like to choose, whatever makes you feel most good. But the problem with that is God lets us know that there's a particular way for us to live and operate. It's even more important today for our Christian witness to live up to God, the life that God has asked us to live. 
But we also know as followers of Jesus, and I'm sure each of us can attest to this, that our wills, our decision-making power is very weak. So the question that I, I bring to today's text that I hope you'll ask is, how can we develop the power to choose the right things in the Christian life? Like, how can we just, where, you know, when we read Scripture, it's like these things should naturally come out of us to do the right thing. Like, it should naturally come out of us to love our neighbor. It should naturally come out of us to tell the truth. It should naturally come out of us to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And yet, when we look at our life experience, sometimes we look at our life and we go, I don't know that that is what is naturally inside of me. So how can we both understand the right things to choose and also how can we develop a faith, how can we grow our faith in such a way that that is what is natural? What is natural is to obey God. How can we do that? And I think Moses gives us a great picture. In fact, I I titled today's message, Persuasion of Faith. And I think in that, our faith will lead us to prioritize the right things. It will persuade us to make difficult choices in the midst of difficult circumstances. Our faith, the more that we grow closer to Christ, the more that we understand His heart towards us, the more we're persuaded to obey Christ. So, as we look at the story of Moses today, as we watch what the author of Hebrews draws out of his life and his testimony, I think that the author of Hebrews wants us to see about our faith, that our faith is the persuasive power in our lives to follow Christ. So if you're following along on your phone, or if you got your outline, or if you're at home and you just want to say these points out loud so you don't forget them, that's an option too. Uh, Faith persuades us to prioritize our identity in Christ. Faith persuades us to prioritize our identity in Christ. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. Could you imagine hiding your newborn baby right after he was born? I mean, now, I've been in uh, this, this place where my son is birthed anew. And can I just tell you, the last thing that I wanted to do was to keep him a secret. The last thing I wanted to do was to pretend like he did not exist, to pretend like nothing had happened. No, in fact, I wanted to go show everybody. I would take pictures of every part of him. I wanted everyone to know how wonderful my son is, how much God has blessed me, how incredible a blessing it is to be a father. And so I I just want you to feel as a mom, as a dad, what the emotional turmoil this must have caused to hide your baby. And that is what happened. Moses' parents had to hide him. Scripture goes on to say, they saw that God had given them an unusual child. Some translations say beautiful child, but I think it's important for us to understand when the Scriptures speak of beauty, it doesn't mean physical appearance all the time. So even the word will be beautiful, and sometimes even the word handsome can be translated as special or unique. I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. I think every parent thinks that about their child. But when the Scriptures say it, it should let us know there's something special here. There's something different here. And I think that they knew our child has got something to do with the situation that we have been placed in. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's 
commands. Now, Moses, he was a man born. He was a man born into a difficult time for the Israelites in Egypt. Now, essentially what Scripture has said at this point in time is that the Israelites grew. In fact, if you remember the promise that God had given to Abraham that he was going to make his descendants great, and he was going to make them a nation, a great nation that was going to bless the world. Well, what happens is, is when you're a different nation and you start to see another nation grow in power, you kind of go, I don't know that I like that. And so this is what's happening with the Egyptians. The promise of God is being fulfilled as the Israelite people are growing in number. And the new king who, Scripture says, did not remember Joseph, the new king looked at the Israelite people, and he began to get a little afraid. And when people are afraid, they make unwise choices. See, the Egyptians had issued an edict and a command that all of the sons of the Israelites were to be murdered when they were born. And in fact, they didn't do that as uh, the king didn't come and do that. The king didn't come and murder these children. No, he wanted the people the Egyptians, to do that. And they did. They issued this command in order to control the population of the Hebrews and keep them growing, their growing power that they had in check because he was afraid. Exodus 1, verses 8 and 9 says this, Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Now remember, this is a unique thing because if you knew the story of Joseph, He basically saved the Egyptians. They would have wasted all of their resources when this famine came, but he interpreted the dream of the king of Egypt, and he said, we need to store up these resources or you'll be able to feed all of your people. And they were saved because of the wisdom, the leadership, and ultimately the gift and provision that God gave to Joseph. But this king remembered not what he had done. I think it's important for us as Christians to take this as an example of what not to do. We've got lots of people who have lived their life of faith that we have records and documents of that we can read about and grow and understand what it was like for them to obey God in the midst of difficult circumstances. But it is easy to forget those things. And so this king, he didn't know who Joseph was. Now, the the caveat of that is Joseph didn't want to be known as an Egyptian. And so you see just the story of God being weaved in how he's using people for his purposes. So it's important for us to remember that what was happening with the people of Israel is what God promised to them, that they would grow, that they would grow in number and in strength and in power and in influence. And that was what was happening. And the Egyptian king, he recognized that. He recognized the growing potential of the Israelite people. Now, Amram and Jochebed, who are Moses' parents, they hid Moses for three months, and then they put him in a waterproof basket. Using, the Scriptures use, again, the word that we talked about with Noah's ark, pitch. They covered that basket with pitch. They covered it like our sins are covered by Jesus' blood, and he was protected in that basket. And they put it in a strategic place, a strategic location, so that Moses would be picked up. Now, Moses' parents probably would have known in this particular special way that the Scriptures describe that Moses was unique as a child. And they probably would have also understood their specific identity as the people of God, and they would have lived out of that identity, understanding that every child is a blessing from God. 
And you remember, you, you gotta remember that when this covenant, when the, when the Israelite people are understanding their story, understanding what God has said about them, they treasure those children. Why? Because that's, a, that's literally the result of the promise of God. Every child is a result of the promise of God for the Israelite people. We love our kids and we may not have any idea of these promises from God. They would have treasured every child that God gave to them. I think it's also for us to just think, and I think this is, this is JC's opinion here, I think that Moses' parents would have had a picture that Moses had a special role to play in getting the Israelites out of slavery. Now, there are some, some people who are not in Scripture, some, some authors who are not in Scripture that would have said this. In fact, Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, actually communicated and wrote down that Moses' parents had a dream. Uh, his father had a dream where Moses would deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. But that's not Scripture, so we can't necessarily depend on that. But it seems like these actions that they took in particular, specifically with putting him in a basket and covering it in the way that they did, not only so it would float, but also being a picture for us of what Jesus is for us, I, I think there's some special, unique things that they probably would have had insight into for their son. So their identity as the people of God and empowered their decision to disobey the king of Egypt. They were putting their lives in danger by hiding their son, by keeping him alive. They were willing to risk their own lives in order to protect their child. And in order to save their child, they were willing to face the consequences. It would have taken incredible faith not only to hide their child to keep him alive, but also to place him in a basket in the middle of an important and very large, and I'm sure very strange and scary river. And I'm sure it would have even been more of an act of faith to know that your enemy, the Egyptians, were the ones who were going to save him. But see, they must have had faith that even their special son would have been raised in the way of the Lord instead of by the pagan Egyptians. And we know the story, not only did God protect Moses, but he even allowed his mother to be his midwife. The Egyptians had no idea the story that God was writing in Moses. Eventually, Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her own son and actually named him Moses, which means I lifted him out of the water. Moses' parents took great risk to their own lives by trusting God. Their faith in God persuaded them to take action in spite of the consequences. For us, what actions are we willing to take despite the consequences that we might face? And I'll be honest, you know, we talk about suffering a lot, and I mean, we're talking about people who are going to lose their lives because their child was going to lose their life. I don't know how many of you and, and me have faced that situation. Is your faith at the place where if that were the situation you were placed in, you would place your trust in, in Christ to get you through no matter what? How is God leading you to act or to not act in obedience to his will and not necessarily what is easiest or considered wise by those around you. Sometimes the most wise thing you can do is the thing that is seen as the most foolish by the world. Our faith also persuades us to reject the prize of the world, to reject the prize of the world. Verse 24, 
It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. As Moses grew, he would have grown up as a member of the royal family. He would have been uh, able to have the greatest education. He would have had all the cool toys. He would have had the greatest swag that anybody could have had. He would have been filled with all the treasures of the greatest nation in the entire world. He was a prince of the wealthiest and most powerful nation in the world at that time. So Moses wasn't choosing just a house. Moses wasn't choosing a particular location. Moses was choosing between being a part of the most powerful nation in the entire world or being a part of the group, the people of God who were enslaved. His faith persuaded him to refuse to be known as an Egyptian and instead to share the oppression of God's people. I think it's also interesting for us to see that both Joseph and Moses were both in Egypt, and God had different calls on their life. Joseph was in a power of influence and position and still did not want to be recognized as an Egyptian. God used his gifts on Joseph to grow the Egyptians, and he used the gifts that he gave to Moses to get out of there and to actually judge the Egyptians. Both in the same situation, both followers of God, and yet the response and the leading and the call of God on their life, very different. I hope that when we approach situations and circumstances, and someone may be in our shoes even, I hope that we can at least look past ourselves enough to go, hey, maybe God is calling them to do the exact opposite of what I'm doing, and maybe they are also obeying God. The people of God is supposed to be a diverse group with different gifts and strengths, and we share our perspectives and our stories submitted to God. So our response in every situation should not look the same, except for it is done in a foundation of faith and of leading by God. That is God. He uses you and you and you to show the love of Christ wherever you're placed, and it may be in a different way. So some will rise to influence and leverage their influence and their wealth and their relationships to bring the kingdom of God forth on earth, and then others will suffer and they will struggle and they will have hard times and people's faith will grow as they hear their story of endurance through trials. And both of them could be living less than a quarter of a mile from each other. If we can discuss this with each other and be willing to learn from one another and yield our identities and our submission to Christ, we can benefit the kingdom of God through our our circumstances. It's important for us to understand God calls me and my family to something, and he may call someone else's family to something else. How can we understand how God can do that differently for each of us?
Scripture says this in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love this world, nor the things that it offers to you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world, the systems, the structures, the powers of this world offer only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father. They're not from God. Where are they from? They're from this world. And this world is fading away. Praise God, it is fading away, and we will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. Along with everything that people crave, it is fading away. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. When we think about success, when we think about it, we think about it from a worldly perspective. If you got a lot of money, regardless of how you got it, regardless of how you received it, if you're a successful athlete or a celebrity, if you've got a number of degrees behind your name, if your family name means something, even today, if you've got enough followers on a social media platform, the world views you as successful. Moses had every one of these things except for the social media platform, and he gave them up willingly to suffer. You know, it's one of the tough things about being a pastor because lots of people want to share their opinion on how to be successful as a church. And generally, their tips, their opinions on being successful don't really have to do with this. They've really got to do with some strategy that can get more people in the door or that can make things easier for people. And if you did this, then more people would come. If you didn't do this, then more people would come. And, you know, I hope, I hope that our churches look more like what is contained in here and less like the world. And yet I think our churches more, look more like the world than the kingdom of God. That's not what we strive for here at Brookwood. Please understand this. We're not looking to build the largest church, this incredible brand name. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking to help as much as we can as pastors to develop in people, encourage people, to live the life that God has for them. You know, my hope is that people grow and they develop the strengths and gifts that they have and then they go somewhere and they share those gifts with a church. They share those gifts with a community and those people who've never heard the message of Christ can be born anew into him and that we will celebrate as the family of God one day, not the family of Brookwood. We'll get there and we'll see people who we got to love and serve and give to. That's the church. The church is sacrificed. The church is suffering. And we're fighting over what our rights are. We have a right to suffer for the sake of Christ who suffered everything for us. The God we serve is a God who showcases his love through service and identifying with those who are suffering most in our culture. Moses believed it was better to be a slave and identify with the people of God than to be a prince who was opposed to God. Would we choose that? 
oppression over pleasure, suffering over treasures in Egypt. Does this characterize you? Does this characterize our church? Those things that the world offers to us are temporary. Jesus said no to all of those things to give his life for a people that would not always appreciate his accomplishment. We model the life of Jesus when we suffer and are oppressed, not when we claw and grasp for what we believe our rights are. And here's a question. Now, we give these questions all the time. I, I want to, this is a question I've wrestled with so much this week, this question. What temptation does the world offer to you? What world does the temptation, what, what temptation does the world offer to you to keep you from the eternal blessings of God? It may be money, it may be power, it may be influence, it may be isolation, so I don't have to deal with everything and everybody. It may be health, it, it may be having a good reputation and a good name among people. It may be that everybody's okay. How can we be reminded daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, of what Christ gave up for you, for me. Our faith also persuades us to accept the provision of God, to accept the provision of God. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I'm going to read this again, because sometimes when we read in English, we forget what the words actually are saying to us. I'm going to read this again. He was keeping his eyes on the one who is invisible. Hey, put your eyes on somebody who's invisible. That should, that should just cause you to go, how do I look at somebody who's invisible? That is what the scriptures are saying right here. Have you ever just put your eyes on somebody invisible? So I, I'm going to get back to that, but I want you to read the scriptures with, what does this mean? What does this look like? It, did it really say that? Did the Bible really say he kept his eyes on someone who is invisible? Yes. So we should go, that's weird. What does that mean? It was by faith. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. How can we place our eyes on something that is invisible? Now, here's the thing, and I, I love this. I love how the scriptures do this because they take something that we've heard in our day. Well, if I could see God, I would believe him. If I could see God, then I'd obey him. If I, if I could see God, then I'd, I'd trust him with everything. And so the scriptures say things like this, and you go, what? In the, I mean, it's just like they took something that someone would have as an obstacle for their faith, and they go, oh, yeah, you can see an invisible God. And that Greek word here, it's the word horon. 
and it means to perceive with the mind. It also means to behold something. You know, in the song today, we, we talked about behold. It's what you do when your child is born. You come out of the delivery room and you lion king your child in front of everybody and you go, behold, this is my child. And everybody goes, Look at that baby. You know, I have seen tons of newborn babies being the family pastor here. I haven't got to the point where I'm like, cool, another baby. Cool, cool, cool. Every baby, you're just like, God, thank you for this child. Look at how incredibly unique you've made this child. Look at how beautiful this child is. And this word behold means when we look at God, our eyes should be open, way more open than with anything else, that we should look at the details, that we should understand this is what God is doing in our midst, that we should pause long enough to see every intricacy of what God may be doing in our circumstances. When there's an earthquake, our eyes should open up and we should go, oh, what's the scripture say about an earthquake? What, what does that mean for us? Is, is Jesus coming back today? Lord Jesus, come back today. That's what beholding means, that we live our life in such a way that we can not let life pass us by that our eyes would behold the things of God. I took an art class in college. I know you look at me and you're like, man, JC loves fine art. That's not my personality. I don't like fine art. But you know what I learned in, in art class in college? My professor said, my professor also, he painted uh, one of the, the albums for a very famous band. And it was actually a painting of himself, which I thought was hilarious. We Googled this in college, and it, he was telling the truth. Like, it was, a, it was him <laughs> in a picture. We were like, that is crazy. It was a Goo Goo Dolls. It was just crazy. Like, Jeb, that's his name. That was my professor. So if you look up that album, that's him. It's crazy. Okay? Anyway, saying all that. He said, hey, how do you know if art's good or not? And I'm going, I don't know. I got no idea. How do you know if art's good? He was like, well, do you like it? I was like, well, sometimes no. I look at it and I just see like a line. I, I don't even, you know, I'm not wowed by the genius of this, you know, painter. I, I don't understand it. And he goes, okay, we'll move on. Go to the next one. And then he showed these pictures of ordinary items. And these artists were selling these pieces for like $50,000. And they found it at a yard sale and they put it in a frame and then they placed it on this thing. And what I learned and got past, because I'm looking at you know, art and I'm going, I don't understand any of this. It's not about understanding it. It's about when your eyes see something of beauty that resonates with you, your eyes are beholding something that's unique. Each of us can talk about that, about something in us that it, it just resonates with us differently than it will with other people. That should be the attitude that all of us who are children of God approach God with. That when we see him, our eyes are open. Our eyes are watching. Our eyes are amazed. Our eyes are entranced by what he is, who he is, what he's doing, how he's operating, how he feels about us. We should be beholding him. And when we see ordinary things, and we ask the question, God, what are you doing? It gives us an opportunity to place our eyes on the invisible one. Well, if God would do this, if he'd, you know, if he'd just do this miracle, then I would believe him. And yet, 
I'll be honest with you. This is one of the things I think about. Now, this is crazy. Please just know, be patient with me as I'm following Jesus and trying to figure out this. But what if, what if, what if all this stuff that's going on with the coronavirus, what if it's for the church to pay attention to? And what if it's not that all the numbers are crazy and all this stuff? What if God is actually just protecting a lot of people? I mean, what if it's not this crazy conspiracy? What if God has just decided it was going to be way worse? And now people have been praying, and I'm hearing their prayers, and I'm staving this off. What if people changed in response to what God was doing? Why, why do we come to these conclusions so quickly about what God must be doing? What, what if it's not that it's bad? What if, what if, it's, what if it's us, and we, are, we can perceive God doing something that we had no idea he was doing? But we want somebody else to tell us what to think about this. And our eyes are on social media. Our eyes are beholding Fox News or CNN. Our eyes are beholding this guy they placed in charge. Our eyes are beholding those things. But we won't look at God and go, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? When things became difficult, Moses exercised his faith. He placed God at the forefront of his mind. He had his eyes continually on God. This faith is so real, it is so concrete that it empowers Moses' obedience in the midst of trials, and it gives patience and joy in the midst of suffering. Both of these things Moses experienced in leading the Israelites out of Egypt. God will accomplish his will in his time and in his way. And if you are paying attention at all to this series in Hebrews 11, you will see that there is a significant focus in waiting on God, in waiting on him. The tenth plague that God sent to the Egyptians was the death of all of the firstborn children of Egypt. And Moses and the Israelites, by sprinkling the blood on the doorposts, believed that God would spare the Israelites from judgment. That's what God asked them to do, so they exercised their faith, believing that God would spare them, and he did. I think it is interesting and should be something that we note that this plague in particular echoes the step that the Egyptians were taking towards the Israelites by murdering their children. But we cannot move past this without asking this question, a question that if you're a follower of Christ and you've tried to share Christ with your friends, a question that you've probably been presented with before. How can a loving God enact such a terrible judgment upon people? Now, again, we talked about this earlier, so I'm going to remind you. Let's read the whole story. Okay, let's read the whole story. You can read this whole story from Exodus chapter 1 to Exodus chapter 14. The story begins with God's people growing in power and influence and somebody seeing their power and influence and finding a way to end their power and influence. And that king issues an edict to put them in slavery and then also kill their children, especially their sons. We must understand that God's wrath is real, 
and it is not separated from his love. Now, this is hard to comprehend. God was not only concerned about the Israelites. He was also concerned about the Egyptians. He wanted even the Egyptians to come to know him as God. How do we know this? Because he had the leader of the Israelites, Moses, come to the leader of the Egyptians, the king, and they continually talked, and then the plagues affected all of the Egyptians. And you gotta imagine, there's some murmuring going on with the Egyptians. This guy Moses keeps coming in, and he says he's here for the Lord, and he says he's bringing our people out, and then when the the Pharaoh, when the king says no, bad things happen to us. I mean, are we sure we're serving the right person? Are we sure we're doing the right thing? I mean, maybe, maybe we should hear them out a little more. When we read the whole story, we see this, and we see that this isn't a a short-term thing. They've been enslaved for 400 years. 400 years. And that this group of people was murdering children. I think we'd all agree that demands justice. It demands justice. A non-loving God would allow all that to pass. A loving God would never allow that to pass. And we also see that this plague was the last plague. If the only goal was to get the people out, that's what he would have started with, right? He would have started with the children, but God didn't do that. Why? Because God was patient. Even after 400 years of slavery, even after watching his children, the people of God, being murdered, God was patient towards the Egyptians. If you don't think God is patient towards you, I hope that this is feeding your heart for how lovingly God is waiting for you to trust him. We must be someone who understands that the wrath of God and the love of God are wrapped up and they are totally, completely, 100% consistent. But if we just read the last plague, we forget the other nine plagues, and then we also forget the 400 years, and we forget the context that those children were being killed. Jesus Christ offers us the same. He, he took the wrath of God. For not only the Egyptian sin and how heinous it was, all of the atrocities of the world and my sin, your sin, And he took God's wrath. Watching every horrible thing that had ever been done to someone, the most unloving acts you could ever imagine, Jesus took the wrath of God on his body for me, for you. 
That is the picture of God's wrath that must be satisfied. And yet his divine love for us. Jesus did nothing wrong and took on all wrongs everyone had ever done and will do for us. He spares us from eternal death by providing eternal life to us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How does your faith persuade you to persevere in the midst of a difficult situation? How can you set your eyes upon Christ day after day after day so the sufferings of this world truly do seem small to the glory that you will one day receive from God? Let us pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I pray if there's someone who's here, who is listening, who feels like God can't love me, I pray, God, that you would just blow that whole thing up. That you would encapsulate them with your love. You'd overwhelm them with your love. That there would be no excuse other than to understand how can a God who is perfect love me? And I pray, God, for those who are suffering, for those who are, maybe it's an illness, maybe it's a a life circumstance, God, I pray that you would empower their faith, that they would influence those around them to be encouraged and strengthened by their example of faith. We love you so much. God, grow our faith so that these become natural choices for us. Tear away the sin that so entangles us. And God, allow us to pursue you without abandon. It's in the name of Jesus we're able to pray these things. Amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you can experience a transformed life. One of the ways you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. You can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org. That's connections at brookwoodchurch.org or just call us at 864-688-8326 to get in touch with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on the Brookwood Church app. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.